Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guest, Ben Erez, Greenbox POS co-founder and chairman. Greenbox POS is a fintech company offering blockchain ledger and smart contract token technologies to create seamless payment processing solutions. On the show, Ben discusses the macro case for the global digital payment market, his thoughts on crypto, digital currencies, and stablecoins, details about the company's stablecoin offering, a rebuke to a recent short sell report on the company, and more. So with no further ado, here's our chat with Greenbox POS co-founder, Ben Erez. Excited to have Ben from Greenbox POS on the show today. Their stock trades under the ticker symbol GBOX on the NASDAQ. So Ben, welcome. I do want to kick things off just giving a brief overview of your career trajectory. I went over it very briefly, spent over a decade at Microsoft, one of the largest tech companies in the world. You had stints at other large tech companies. Can you discuss your career history and some of the key experiences that helped you become a founder? Yes, thanks. So um, interesting that you say trajectory. Trajectory is usually the before picture, not the after picture. Um, and uh, you know, just last week I celebrated my 61st birthday. Oh, happy so, birthday! <laughs> um, so I would say I'm in the middle, uh, not uh, not before and not after. With the, making the case for being a founder, I think a founder or an entrepreneur in general is something that you're born with. You know, it, life prepares you uh, through its motions and turbulences. Uh, for certain roles, and it's up to you to take uh, the left or the right uh, road when you get to the fork. And, you know, things happen for a reason, and if you move in into that direction that is consistent with your overall plan, you will be a founder of something. Uh, and I had the opportunity to be a founder several times in my career. You asked about my uh, background, so why don't we start... Uh, with the the first uh, job that I had out of my uh, Navy career with the Israeli Navy. Uh, and that was uh, part of the founding team at uh, Intel. Hmm. I wasn't uh, the first one, uh, but I was part of the first 120 people. Uh, and the, we were sort of the startup team. I had an opportunity to work on the design and manufacturing of the uh, the first CPUs, uh, commercial CPUs, the 8080s and others, um, worked on uh, the first uh, quarter meg memory chip, uh, the 27264. Both of these components went later on in collaboration with IBM into the first personal computer. And that, I think, actually is my claim to fame. After uh, uh, my uh, service with the Intel, I uh, set up my own tech startup, ran that for about uh, four years, and then sold it to IBM Israel. Uh, worked with IBM and within this 
context for two additional years until I was, uh, I don't want to say stolen, but moved uh, from that position into Microsoft. I was uh, part of the founding team at the office uh, at Microsoft. And again, another claim to fame, I started with Microsoft before Windows and before Office. And uh, uh, I managed uh, the engineering uh, of that uh, division um, on the international versions of Office for about 14 years. Uh, and they worked for three years on Bill Gates' uh, initiative, then called the uh, Trustworthy Computing, and uh, was one of the first four people in that group. So obviously my name is uh, on every publication that group ever published before its foundation. Um, and uh, today I think they have a little more than a thousand people. In 2004, I, I left uh, Microsoft and attempted retirement for the first time. Turned out I'm pretty bad at retirement. I tried that <laughs> a couple of times in my career unsuccessfully. So that was the first of which. Very quickly, I set up a consulting firm and uh, uh, focused on projects that uh, interest me, both on the uh, engineering and technology side and on the capital market side. A little bit later on, I uh, ran that for about 12 years. And um, at that point, uh, my son uh, made uh, the cut for the U.S. Olympic team in kayaking and was working towards the Tokyo 2020 Games. Um, and uh, he thought that uh, Seattle is not the best place for him to practice in the winter for the Olympics. Hmm. I thought we were going to Hawaii and actually got a business license in Hawaii. Uh, but he said, no, you're going to San Diego. And as a good helicopter parent, I, of course, changed my plans. And we said, okay, fine, we're going to San Diego, and attempted retirement for the second time. I, I bought a sailboat and started thinking about uh, learning to sail and, and things like that, and, and that obviously helped for about three months. At that point, I, I met uh, my uh, partner and co-founder of Greenbox, Freddie Nissan. Um, I met him right when I was asked uh, to be the first managing director of the Alumni Foundation, Microsoft Alumni Foundation in California, and immediately decided that this is what I need to do uh, without knowing what it actually is. Uh, we didn't figure it out at that point. But I knew that he and I were meant to do something together. Um, so I, I moved from the alumni position to the green box position, very quickly, we identified what it is that we wanted to do. Uh, we both came from vast experience in uh, both technology and, and capital markets and uh, went uh, on the hunt for an interesting problem that we could fix. And, uh, you know, nobody else uh, could think about it in the same way that, uh, you know, of course, this is a very arrogant position to take, which I think comes with the, the job of uh, being an entrepreneur. Uh, you always have to think that you can come up with solutions to existing problems that are unique and valuable and, and have material uh, impact on a particular space. So we focused on payments. Freddie just did a, an exit in the payment business. Um, he had a, an ERP and a POS uh, company called Brava, which he sold 
Um, and uh, we were both available. We happened to meet at the, of all places, at the synagogue art auction and immediately uh, decided to uh, figure out what it is that we can do better than others. Uh, we took the bet on uh, blockchain right from the start. We have never considered anything else. Uh, and within blockchain, uh, payment infrastructure, and within that, focusing 100% on blockchain ledger. We like the idea of, of uh, basing uh, something as sensitive as payments on an infrastructure that cannot be modified uh, and is fully transparent. And we thought this is an amazing beginning. Then we added on top of that the other features that come with, uh, with blockchain in general. And, and those uh, include the privacy, uh, reliability, extendability, being able to do uh, transactions, settlement, and authorization regardless of uh, geography or time zone or business holiday schedule or anything like that. And we're very intrigued with that solution. Now, at the time when we started, uh, there was one other system available, infrastructure, not payment, um, named Sequence. And uh, we didn't subscribe to Sequence as a solution. We thought that the government involvement in it was too invasive and the direction was not proper. And we decided to build our own. And it uh, turned out that this was one of the most amazing and critical decisions that the company ever took. Because at the time that we finished uh, building that infrastructure and we were ready to launch our first commercial platform, Sequence died, and it died uh, because of lack of funding and took away with it the entire competitive map. And here we are all by ourselves, standing with amazing opportunity. Uh, so we launched in the beginning of 2019, our, the first generation of our platform. And within the first year, we did a little over $170 million in volume of business, which we thought was pretty cool for a first year the first version, first generation deployment. And, uh, you know, we liked it a lot. We, just to put things in perspective, though, I would say that we're doing more than that per month today. But at the time, it was, it was a big deal. So that was generation one. Very quickly, uh, we moved to a generation two uh, planning for international expansion by adding crypto and forex capabilities. That was in April of 20. And in January of 21, we added uh, in our generation three platform uh, capabilities along the banking side of business by adding uh, white label offerings, uh, complete the blockchain solutions for banks under their own logos and the interface and for their own Rolodex and clients and, and users. And then also part of, of all of these advantages, um, we added Coiny. So I think we'll, we'll probably have a separate conversation about Coiny, but just, I would just say that Coiny is very, very unique type of stablecoin offering because uh, it comes as uh, something that sprouts out of a transactional ecosystem. Because it has that background, because it knows how to connect to gateway systems, it is a perfect uh, combination of a stable coin with its properties, you know, instant transactions and 
instant liquidity and cross-border capabilities and the push-to-card technologies together with de-risking capabilities of traditional gateways and knowing that the uh, funds that uh, are used to uh, uh, purchase tokens, let's say using credit cards, et cetera, are already pre-authorized using the traditional ecosystem. Operating like that is a very, very unique advantage for Coiny. And the, the second aspect of Coiny is, of course, the, the fact that it's aware of consumer protection principles and can be reversed. It's the only cryptocurrency that is undoable. And uh, we think that uh, with the upcoming uh, regulatory oversight for the space, this will be part of what will be required of stablecoins. So we're very, very excited about uh, where stablecoin is today and where it's going and our participation within this space. And I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, in the coming questions. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Absolutely. And and just to back up a little bit on the payment market, what what's some of the macro case for the global digital payment market today for investors? Yeah, so um, a lot of uh, unique uses uh, exist today. I, I can mention a few of them. Uh, but before I do that, I'd like you to recognize that uh, this is the nature of money, being digital or traditional minted currency. It has similar functions. Both of them need to be custodial and transactional. Custodial meaning they have to have an agreed upon value uh, that is intrinsic and uh, backed up by minted currency in 100% verifiable and auditable ecosystem, uh, which, by the way, sounds like a, a trivial property, but no stablecoin has that today. The other thing is uh, being transactional, meaning you have to be minded to consumer protection principles, and you have to be able to undo bad transactions. And again, no crypto methodology exists today uh, to allow for that. Now, with regards to uses, um, so let's let's take one interesting example, which is Forex, uh, foreign exchange transactions. This is a regulated activity, which involves not only uh, being licensed to do uh, money transmission between you know, point A and point B, uh, it may be within the same jurisdiction or, or cross-border. Um, it may be using, it obviously always is uh, utilizing different currencies uh, and maybe in the future also include uh, virtual and fiat currencies at the same time as part of the Forex transaction. To do all of that uh, digitally and instantly, you can only do that using stablecoin. 
Of course, not all stable coins are created the same, right? If you look at the at Tether, for example, which is the, the largest stable coin today, uh, 97% of it is not custodian. No one knows what is the cash that is backing that uh, that coin. In fact, it's it's unknown. The big mystery, the biggest mystery in the space today. Yep. Um, also, it's you know to the extent that it is transactional, it's not reversible. So, if you use it to buy something that turns out to be um, not delivered or delivered improperly or uh, for any reason you didn't like it and you wanted to return it, there's no way to force the return um, using that coin. Circle with USDC is another interesting example. Uh, it is only backed up by, at 61%. So its custodial function is, is questionable. Also, uh, Circle is involved in utilizing this stablecoin uh, for lending under DeFi. Um, and to do that, uh, and especially for the purpose of returning uh, or providing higher returns on stablecoin deposits that they use for uh, lending, that's a typical banking function. You can't create new coin to to pay for the the interest that you you paid the, for the deposits without creating a custodial backing for it in dollars. So, meaning if you print without custodial backing. You are minting, and minting is a protected, you know, the, the holy grail uh, of, of the space, right? No one is allowed and shouldn't be allowed to mint dollars. It's, it's a function that is solely reserved for the U.S. government, and we would like to keep it that way. Uh, so that you have a problem there. Now, consider that the entire stablecoin industry, which today is approaching $140 billion a year, is about 90% the combination of these two coins, right? USDT plus USDC combined is just over 100 billion, right? 110. Um, it's, it's a very large number out of the total value of the space. Uh, so, and, and by the way, this is just the beginning, right? Uh, if you look at the, what the Visa is saying about the space, the, the opportunity there is in the many trillions. They estimate over 120 trillion. So the opportunity is vast. I think uh, once the regulator actually provides the metrics by which we can compare one stablecoin to another, Coiny will be head and shoulder above the rest and will provide the value that we all already know and see from the inside that it contains. And hopefully that will be reflected in shareholder value uh, to the benefit of the company and its shareholders. So you've spoken quite a bit about Coiny, uh, Greenbox's stablecoin offering. I just wanted to get a sense more of the basics behind Coiny. Can you tell us uh, yes. what, the, what the strategy is there, how it works? You did speak about the competitive advantages, say, versus right. Circle Solution and Tether as well. But could you give us um, just more background? Like, can investors access it yes. currently? Is it up and running? Things of that nature. Sure. So uh, earlier on this call, I mentioned that the generation one of our uh, payment infrastructure in the beginning of 2019 uh, was a deployment that was entirely based on blockchain. So I would tell you that 
what is hiding behind that definition is the fact that that conversation between the payee and the payor, even on that early version of our ecosystem, always included a set of instructions, right? Uh, sort of an agreement between the two parties saying, you pay this and then you will get that for it. And if you didn't, then you don't get that. Essentially, we took this set of instructions and then encapsulated it into what is called smart contract. And by utilizing smart contract that the byproduct of is issuance, we created a scenario where we are on an immutable, unchangeable infrastructure, but at the same time, the issuance itself is a derivative of that infrastructure and therefore can, can be reversed. This is the biggest difference between the architecture of, of Coiny versus all of the rest. Also, because it is smart contract-based issuance, um, Coiny can behave in a, in a very interesting uh, fashion that all other currencies will have to do a complete change of architecture to be compatible with uh, or to emulate that or, or commercially compete with it. Um, so, you know, first of all, Coiny is a centralized stablecoin. All other coins are decentralized. They're all on Ethereum. It costs them money to operate, what's called the gas uh, cost on Ethereum. Uh, Coiny does not have that cost. Coiny operates on um, a blockchain infrastructure that is hosted by a commercial federal bank, by a signature bank. And therefore, our auditors can attach themselves as a node into that ecosystem and with our permission can scan the system and count in real time the number of tokens in circulation. They also have the capability via the same system and the same bank to inspect the number of dollars in the custodial trust account that is held by the bank in favor of the ecosystem, not the, the company. And therefore, the auditing, the attestation that provides the certification of compliance and stability to the ecosystem produced by this national auditor, in our case, Armenino, this attestation can be provided in real time. Take the, the counter example with, the, with Circle, where the attestation is provided by Grant Thornton once every 30 days. And you never know if you just caught the system like in mid-flap, right? Some coins coming in, some coins coming out, and you never know where you are in the process, where in the, in the Armanino signature green box process, you have that in real time. We don't issue unless the funds already exist in the custodial account. We then get back license to issue or print more tokens, and then we deliver these tokens to an e-wallet of a client. Um, that's a very, very big advantage. So the scenario where uh, some of your money is being used for unregulated or uncharted operations like lending or uh, investment or things like that, that cannot happen with the coining infrastructure. It's very, very important. So 
in terms of the, the basic two functions that I would expect to see in every digital replacement of minted currency, being custodial and being transactional and doing so with no risk, I would say that there is no other choice other than coin. There is no other choice. And that's our, the basis of our commercial positioning and differentiation on the coin platform. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF, symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange, provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. One, one other thing that we came across um, with regards to the company was but last year there was a short seller um, named The Bear Cave that released, released a, uh, a bearish report, no, no pun intended, right. um, yes. on the stock. Um, do, you have, do you have any comments on on the, the report or, or any rebuttals to that? So we specifically didn't want to keep that report as part of the conversation and did not react to it. And, and I don't think that it would be wise of me to react to it today. However, there were some shareholders and analysts that did uh, do some rebuttals, pretty accurate rebuttals, uh, which I stand behind 100%. I think they, they did a good job in refuting some of the assertions that were in this uh, uh, short report. However, I think that the, the impact of the short report is still felt in the market today. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a, it creates a difficult space for the stock to, to be in. You know, I think it, it creates a value that the, uh, for the company that is so ridiculously unfair, I would say, that uh, uh, the company is uh, uh, choosing to, in a big way, to buy back its shares. You know, we, we began a buyback uh, program in, uh, I think, in August or September of last year, and we just allocated uh, $10 million additionally uh, for a buyback program and executing on it uh, in, in a big way. Uh, unfortunately, I'm only allowed to, to do that in small quantities. I have to buy into the spread. I can't buy in the last uh, 30 minutes of every uh, trading day. But to the best of my ability, I accumulate as quickly as I can. Uh, we already bought uh, more than 2 million shares back uh, and intend to buy much more. And, and remember, the entire short pressure on the stock is just a little over 2 million shares. So I intend to do my best to retire this entire position. I think the most dramatic representation of, of that scenario is that, you know, we are a company with the 200 million 
or so market cap today, but with $100 million cash in the bank. So, you know, it's, it's almost an Abisco deal, right? That you can buy the company out of its own cash. Right. Which is very interesting situation to be in from an investment perspective. So I, I choose to be the barbarian at the gate and buy my own chip. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, if you guys are old enough to remember the, the yep. movie. But, uh, you know, I, I think at some point uh, the market will recognize uh, that this is a, uh, a special opportunity and will react accordingly. And in that context, perhaps the upcoming uh, filing of a, an S1 for Coiny, uh, together with the re-announcement of the dividend to Greenbook shareholders that is coming up very, very soon, probably within the next couple of weeks, hopefully that will, will reposition uh, the market uh, more in favor uh, and more in line with the company and its objectives. Yeah, and it's certainly uh, an interesting position that you guys are in with respect to your cash balances. Not quite the story of RJR Nabisco, uh, KKR, F. Ross Johnson, that whole drama, but thankfully it's not. Wow, um, <laughs> nice, nice trivia pickup there. <laughs> yeah. and, and given your reaction or lack of reaction to the short report, I think that's always uh, the best course of action can be a, a, distra- yeah. a distraction. And the best way to deal with short sellers is just to execute. And it looks like you guys are on the execution path. What can investors expect on a go-forward basis from Greenbox? Just to wrap things up. So we are um, on a very aggressive path uh, of acquisitions. We we don't know when uh, our acquisition of uh, Transact Europe will be completed. And this is because we need the approval of the governing body, the Central Bank of Bulgaria, to approve that transaction. We're hoping to conclude that very uh, soon, uh, probably in the next few weeks. Um, The completion of that transaction is very important uh, strategically uh, for the company, uh, both in terms of the uh, licensing capabilities in Europe but also in terms of being able to process uh, uh, low and medium risk portfolios right from the start. We already started onboarding uh, large uh, volumes um, onto that platform in anticipation of the close. Uh, But we we project that this acquisition in particular and others that we have lined up uh, for the year uh, will, will take us to a substantial volume, uh, business volume per month, perhaps uh, north of uh, $500 million per month. Uh, so we we projected uh, publicly uh, doing about $6 billion this year uh, in volume of processing. Uh, but I think uh, with the, the completion of the acquisitions that we have lined up, um, we have a potential of looking at doubling that figure. I'm not projecting right now formally a doubling of that figure. I'm just saying it's a it's a in high likelihood. And uh, you know, being in that uh, level of execution uh, for the company is very important because it puts you in what I coined as a uh, escape velocity. 
right? It, it puts you in the same order of magnitude as the performance of one of the largest uh, operator in the space, which is Circle. We will be at the same size uh, or as the same uh, adoption and utilization levels as, as Circle. Circle, as you know, uh, is working on an IPO uh, yep. at four and a half billion if that ever happens, but right. uh, that's, the, that's the plan. So um, if we are operating at the same order of magnitude, maybe being a younger company, you know, we're worth half of that in terms of Coiny. We definitely think that the uh, Coiny is a is a multi-billion dollar play uh, for the company, maybe a billion dollars out of the gate. And if you um, remember that the Coiny is a, a majority equity controlled by Greenbox, you know, maybe to the level of the 75, 80% of it, controlled by Greenbox, then that piece alone, which sits on the Greenbox book uh, as a free and clear asset, definitely skews the, the valuation map for the G-Box stock even further, right? Uh, if one asset is worth four times the market cap, you know, what a beautiful acquisition target. So we don't want to be an acquisition target. <laughs> um, Greenbox is not for sale. Right. Well, I mean, the stablecoin business certainly seems very exciting with what you have going on at Coiny. You look at the competitive environment and the lack of transparency behind Tether. I think uh, if we can get some competitors in addition to Circle, as you guys are working on, I think that's a fabulous thing for the payments ecosystem, the crypto asset ecosystem, just because too many people rely on Tether and it's this massive tail risk to the entire sort of DeFi financial system. So kudos for the team at Greenbox for pursuing that. If investors are interested in taking a look at the stock, the ticker symbol is GBOX trading on the NASDAQ. So Ben, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about all of the initiatives that you guys have going on at Greenbox POS. So thank you and wish you the best of luck. Happy to be with you today and thank you for your time and interest. Thank you as well. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.